For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. It's it up to McCaffrey. There he goes. It's a C-back attack. McCaffrey will make the beat. This is Desmond Johnson on the Believe and Carolina Panthers podcast. Here on the Believe Podcast Network the number one podcast network for professionals. Do you believe? If you enjoy the show, please subscribe and rate the show on iTunes. We're available in your favorite directories, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. You can also find us at Believe.com and at Believe Podcast on Twitter. Today on the Believe in Carolina Panthers podcast from WFNZ in Charlotte, Josh Parcell joins the show. But first, here's your opening drive. <laughs> That statue had to come down. There was no choice. It was only a matter of time, but it had to come down. A 13-foot-tall statue of former Carolina Panther owner Jerry Richardson was finally taken down last week from Bank of America's entrance, and it was symbolic for multiple reasons. Not just symbolic for the Panthers franchise, but of the South as a whole, and to a degree, the NFL. Now, over the past few weeks, we've seen years of systemic racism that normally gets covered up, washed over in the news cycle for 24 hours and gone the next day, actually exposed. And now it feels like some of this is starting to stick. Feels like some people that may have not understood what certain people in this country go through every single day are starting to see exactly what they go through every single day. Peaceful protests have shut down targets, Walmarts, highways, grocery stores, downtowns, main streets across the entire country after the murder of George Floyd senselessly by Minneapolis police officials. Citing risk of public safety because of the outbreak of protest, and yes, there's been some rioting, and yes, there's been some some violence here and there, although that started to taper off now, but using that as their reason to, to do this, owner David Tepper and the Panthers found their loophole to take down the statue of Richardson that they were contractually obligated to keep standing in perpetuity when Tepper bought the team from Richardson in 2017. And let's go back to 2017. Let's not forget why Jerry Richardson had to sell this team. Jerry Richardson had no intentions of selling this team at the beginning of 2017. In fact, many believed he was going to turn the team over to his two sons and let them inherit the franchise. But once both of those sons left the franchise in 2009, Richardson basically just stated he wanted to make sure the team stayed in the states of North and South Carolina. Now, he had to sell the team in 2017 after a Sports Illustrated article broke detailing how at least four Panther employees had received significant monetary settlements due to inappropriate workplace comments by Richardson and on at least one occasion directing a racial slur at an African-American scout that worked for the Panthers. So let me put this in perspective for those that still don't quite understand why people are upset still to this day with Jerry Richardson. If a person is comfortable using a racial slur in a business environment, in public, around people, then they are comfortable using it anywhere 
and odds are they do and have for the majority of their life. And that's a tough pill to swallow when you think about Jerry Richardson. He's the man that brought professional football to the Carolinas. Self-made man. Played a couple years of pro football. Played in what's considered the greatest game of all time. Played for the Colts in the late 50s. Took that bonus money. Opened a Hardy's franchise. Built his wealth on his own. Used that wealth to buy an NFL team. He's one of only two former NFL players to own a franchise, George Hallis from the Chicago Bears being the only other one. Having said all that, let me repeat what I just said. If a person is comfortable using a racial slur in a business environment, then they are comfortable using that slur anywhere. And odds are they do and have for the majority of their life. That tells a lot about the character of a person. And to me, That says a lot about the character of Jerry Richardson. Now, after the sell of the team, new head coach Matt Rule and new owner David Tepper may very well be the most progressive head coach-owner combo in the entire league. David Tepper has been on many networks, including CNBC, talking down about President Trump and his policies, his behavior. Matt Rule has been out front talking about his Panther players, how he wants them to be socially active, stand up for what they believe in, be active in the community. A total 180 from the conservative approach of former owner Jerry Richardson, who told first number one first round draft pick Cam Newton to not get tattoos or earring piercings when he first met him face to face. Imagine being a Panthers employee or a player or coach and not supporting the old Southern Dixie gentleman ways of a Jerry Richardson type knowing what he's about knowing what he's said and he's mumbled about employees underneath him how he's demeaned women by making them turn around so he can quote-unquote check out their backsides calling an african-american scout a racial slur imagine being an employee of said person not supporting those ways but being very familiar with them, having grown up around them and having to walk by a 13 foot statue of Mr. Every morning going into the stadium. I'll bet that was probably uncomfortable, right? Maybe made some employees angry, ashamed, frustrated, hurt, probably drug up a lot of feelings that they didn't want to deal with, but had to deal with every single morning walking into work and passing this gargantuan 13-foot statue of Jerry Richardson, who basically, by default, became the symbol of the old way of doing things in the South, the old way we treated people, the old way we swept things under the rug, the old way we ignored our issues and claimed that if we talked about it, it made it worse. He was a 13-foot illustration of that frustration. Now take that feeling times 100, and now you know how a black person feels when they pass a Confederate flag. Symbols are everything in our culture. In order for the Panthers to become what David Tepper clearly wants them to be, they have to start from scratch. That doesn't mean deleting their past, but it does mean they no longer have to glorify it. 
And welcome back to the Believe and Carolina Panthers podcast here on the Believe Podcast Network. I am your host, Desmond Johnson. I am joined by the co-host of Wilson and Parcel, 10 a.m. to 2 p.m., Monday through Friday on WFNZ in Charlotte. He's also the host of The Final Drive from 6 to 7 p.m. on WFNZ in Charlotte as well. Josh Parcel joining the Believe and Carolina Panthers podcast. Thank you for joining me, man. I know you're a busy, busy man, Josh. Uh, not too busy for you, Desmond. Appreciate it, man. <laughs> Thanks for having me on. Well, I definitely wanted to get in touch with someone down there in Charlotte for what's been going on this week. Of course, you know, racial unrest throughout the whole country. We're, we're, we're really in unprecedented times right now in terms of what's happening uh, to the fabric of the country. And I think for the better in the end, uh, the way it affects us here on the Panthers podcast, former Panthers owner Jerry Richardson was in the news this week as the Panthers took down the gigantic 12-foot statue of Richardson that was uh, at the north entrance of Bank of America Stadium. Uh, that came down on Wednesday. The team citing, quote-unquote, public safety concerns and racial unrest in the country as the reason for bringing the uh, the statue down. Uh, Josh, whose idea do you, do you suspect uh, came up with the loophole uh, to uh, put this statue down and does that person deserve a raise? <laughs> because basically, <laughs> cause basically, I mean, they're kind of using this loophole of uh, the way that contract was written when the team was sold to David Tepper from Jerry Richardson, that the statue had to remain unless it was a, a matter of public safety. So seems like the Panthers and owner David Tepper have kind of found a loophole here to get out of something that clearly Tepper didn't want to have in front of uh, B of A. Yeah, I, I think you hit the nail on the head. I mean, I don't know who's ultimate, well, ultimately probably came down to David Tepper, but I don't know who else was involved in a decision like that. But yeah, I mean, look, it was awkward from the beginning when Tepper buys the team and he's asked at his introductory press conference, hey, uh, you know, what are you going to do about that 13-foot statue? And you know, he just very <laughs> quickly and awkwardly is like, I, contractually, I got to keep it. And I think everyone knew at that point. It's like, there, I, you could not be more obvious if you're Dave Tepper to the fact that I don't want this statue to exist, but I don't have a choice and try to put him into that, you know, that conversation. But I think they did take advantage of this time to, to be able to move it. Uh, it sounds like, according to Scott Fowler from the Charlotte Observer, he said that or reported that, you know, Jerry Richardson and basically the family is OK. They're not going to put up a fight over this anymore. So, you know, thankfully it, it's going to, it came down without much, you know, much of a fight, at least that we know of publicly. And it, like you said, it, it's definitely for the better. Um, it brought a, a great sense of, of pain and, and really hurtful memories for a lot of people. That's not to say that Jerry isn't incredibly important and impactful to the Carolina Panthers history and to their franchise, but there are ways to honor that and to remember that uh, probably a better way to, to phrase it, to remember that um, other than, you know, having a, a statue at the main entrance of the stadium. I, I don't think that that was ever the best, um, the best solution. And you did mention uh, our, our buddy Scott Fowler over at the Charlotte Observer. He did report uh, <laughs> later on in the week that the statue move is permanent and Jerry right. Richardson will not pursue it, having placed it uh, you know, in that contract when the team was sold. How surprised were you that Richardson seemingly isn't you know, pushing back on this, considering he went through the trouble of having it in the sale, the, the contract, uh, the sale of the team, which I, many people at the time thought it was kind of an odd thing to request in the first place. But for him to just basically say, you know what, I've moved on past that. You can do whatever you want to with the statue. It feels like a complete 180 from where he was two years ago when he sold the franchise to David Tepper. Uh, how surprised were you, Josh, that they're not 
pushing back on this. And do you think we ever see that statue again, maybe at Wofford or, or wherever? I, I'm definitely very surprised. I mean, just, I mean, the thing had only been up for four years and I think I have no idea why exactly Richardson wanted it put into the contract of over the sale of the, t- the sale of the team. But I, I guess my, my best guess would be it was brand new. He gifted it to himself, which is weird. Um, you know, <laughs> right. I, that, you know, I mean, the, I, far be it for me to try to get inside the minds of a, you know, a, a multi-billionaire and, and think about what, you know, how, how much of a bruise it would be to their ego to, to see their statue come down, especially one brand new. So maybe that had something to do with it. And as time has passed, maybe he and his family realize, you know, why, why it was as controversial as it was. And I don't know. I, I don't know if we'll see it again. I know Charlotte, uh, their, their football stadium uh, named Jerry Richardson stadium. I know that there is no comment from them right now on whether or not they'll change the name of their, stadium Mm. um i i think stuff like that like i said i think there's a a time and place for stuff like that to be remembered i think using it to represent um you know in the case of charlotte 49ers you know your your stadium and your football program or in the case of the panthers having it front and center where every fan has to walk by it probably isn't the best forum to do so uh in today's day and age I, i understand it and i i don't know if we'll see it again i honestly i'd, I'd be okay if we didn't so that's kind of how, how I feel about it. On the line with us, Josh Parcell, co-host of Wilson and Parcell, 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. Monday through Friday on WFNZ. You can actually stream that at WFNZ.com and follow Josh at Josh Parcell on Twitter. Uh, I wanted to get into actual, but not X's and O's, so to speak, but just thoughts on Matt Rule. Um, this guy has had it pretty tough since he took over the franchise uh, as the head coach um, earlier this year. He he's he's kind of taken the cues of owner David Tepper in terms of encouraging Panther players to express their opinions among the protests that are going on across the country. How significant do you think, Josh, that it is that the Panthers, located in the Deep South, may now have the most progressive owner slash head coach combo in the entire league with David Tepper and now Matt Rule coming out and really being in the forefront here, encouraging players to speak their mind you know, uh, march with protesters, be visible, use their platform. And for us, you know, to go from Jerry Richardson, which we just, you know, spoke of and, and kind of what he represent the good and the bad to go to where we are now, how big of a, a change has that been, especially for you guys in the media in Charlotte to have to cover, uh, where it just seems like it's one end of a spectrum to the other, where now the Panthers are sporting Tepper and rule as that, uh, owner head coach combo. What are your thoughts on that? I think the change in ownership is by far the biggest change, right? The biggest deal. I mean, to go from Richardson who had, you know, I mean, he asked Cam Newton when he drafted him, if he had any tattoos or piercings, right. And, and some of the comments that he made in light of Colin Kaepernick's protests in 2016, Jerry Richardson just wasn't a very inclusive owner or, or someone who allowed his players to express themselves. That's something that Trey Boston has talked about in recent days. Trey, one of the few players on the team today that was around when Jerry Richardson was still the owner of the team. I mean, it's crazy to think about how much of the roster has turned over just in, in two seasons. But uh, yeah, I mean, Trey, Trey has done a really good job at articulating the differences between the environment and the culture that Dave Tepper has created very quickly. And the culture that existed when Jerry Richardson was here before his tenure ended. And I think that's important. And that's important for players who want to know that they feel welcome uh, here And, and they'll take notice. I mean, Players talk. Players are friends. And when free agency rolls around, 
you know, a year from now, the Panthers are going to have a ton of salary cap space. And I think having a reputation with an owner who is very much pro player and player empowerment and player autonomy is going to play well um, when, when the Panthers are trying to present themselves to, you know, potential free agents and, and other, you know, in other endeavors trying to add to their team and other acquisitions, I should say. So that's important. Um, I think Matt Rule has done a great job over the last couple of weeks at handling the, the, you know, the internal matters with his team and the discussions. Everyone seems all the players who have spoken about Matt Rule say nothing but positives about how he's handled this. Uh, I'll say this. They had a coach who was excellent at at handling these kind of situations uh, in Ron Rivera, who's been a, a great champion of diversity who's been a great champion of uh, allowing his players to be themselves to, to, to be able to voice the, their own uh, opinions and, and expressions so that that to me I mean no not to take away from Matt Rule or anything but there was there already was a coach here who I think in, in enabled that culture and kind of fought back against maybe some of the culture that Jerry Richardson tried to create here too so uh, Matt Rule's done a great job but I think that by far the biggest shift here in Carolina is going from Jerry Richardson to, as you said, the most progressive and, oh, by the way, richest owner (laughs) in the entire NFL. (laughs) Um, Do you think if Jerry Richardson was still the owner of the Carolina Panthers, do you think Cam Newton would still be the the QB? That's a great question. Um, Probably probably not. Um, But it's hard because I think – I don't know that Matt Rule would be the head coach. I don't right. know. I don't know that Richardson would 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 go after a coach like Matt Rule, <laughs> um, the way Tepper did. I mean, let's face it. Matt Rule's the coach of the Panthers, not just because you know Rule coached at Western Carolina, and maybe he wants to the chance to mold his own franchise from the ground up. But Dave Tepper paid him more money than anybody else was going to offer him. And Richardson, I guarantee you, is not handing out seventy million dollars to a coach who's spent one year as an assistant in the NFL like Dave Tepper did. So if we kind of go back and, and layer this, I guess, and really go down the chain of, of events, uh, maybe, I mean, I don't think that, the, uh, let me put it this way. I don't think the Panthers, it was in their best interest to keep Cam Newton um, moving forward. There was just too much uncertainty around his contract, obviously his health, and whether or not it was going to be worth it to the Panthers to pay Cam Newton the kind of money that he would ask for, given the uncertainty around how how much he has left in the tank um, after all of his injuries. So from that standpoint, I don't know that Tepper versus Richardson would matter. But if we think about who the coach would have been, you know, had Jerry Richardson hired an old guard coach and he hired Mike McCarthy, right, for example, or someone like that, would they have been more likely to keep Cam around? I guess you could say maybe, but I think it's evident that um, with this current regime, Dave Tepper and Matt Rule, no matter what Matt Rule tries to say publicly to just ease the tension, uh, it was obvious that they were both in lockstep and moving in a different direction, and, and that didn't involve Cam. On the line with Josh Parcell, uh, personality from WFNZ in Charlotte. Uh, Josh, how honestly, how far behind are these Panthers with no team contact so far, uh, your gut opinion? Because uh, as we mentioned, new head coach, new uh, coordinators on both sides of the ball, basically a brand new defense. I mean, I think uh, we've reported before, there's only three or four guys that are returning on the defense that have played more than 40% of the snaps from the previous season. So they literally clean house on that end. A lot of youth, uh, the entire draft was all defense. Do you think the Panthers are super behind because they have not been able to 
to see each other face to face and start to implement some of these uh, things that Matt Rule wants to do? Or do you think that uh, coronavirus actually in a weird way has helped these Panthers because all the other teams are in the same boat? None of them can do uh, any of these things either. So do you think it's been a blessing or a curse more so for the Panthers that they have not been able to really uh, be interact with each other and be in the yeah. same room with each other yet? Uh, and we're, we're here in the middle of June. Uh, like things are going to start <laughs> snowballing pretty quick. There's one aspect of this that I think could benefit the Panthers, but ultimately to answer your question, this, this definitely hurts them. Um, 35% of their defensive snaps from last season return this year. Something you, you alluded to a bit in your question. Um, the next lowest total in the NFL, 35% is the lowest. That's the Panthers. The next lowest total on defense in the NFL is 54%. Wow. So you're talking about an enormous gap between the 31st uh, <laughs> ranked defense in terms of continuity and then last place with Carolina. It's just a completely new defense. And, you know, some people would tell you, well, the Panthers defense wasn't very good last year, so a lot of change can be a good thing, which I get. But at the same time, what I would tell you is the Panthers defense was bad last year, but the pieces that they lost – most of them were the good parts of the defense. <laughs> they were the parts that, that <laughs> kept it together. It was Mario Anderson with 10 sacks. It was Luke Keekley, who might not have been peak Luke Keekley, but still one of the best linebackers in football who retired. James Bradbury was by far their best corner last year, the only reliable corner that they had. Um, and then they lose guys like Gerald McCoy and Dontari Poe, who I think are a little bit more replaceable, but still guys who did a great job at getting after the quarterback. They were top three in the NFL last year in sacks. They lose close to 70% of the sack total from last season. Outside of Brian Burns coming back, that's basically the only proven pass rusher that they return. So, I mean, Bruce Irvin, another guy that they lost. So the, the parts of the defense that were strong or stronger are the parts that are gone. So it's not like you, have, you lost the, the weakness of that defense. You actually lost the strength. And I think that this is going to make it for a very difficult season. So to answer your question about the lack of continuity and the turnover in the roster, I think that's going to hurt them ultimately, losing the out on um, rookie mini camps, offseason training activities, and, the, and things of that nature. The one caveat that I will say in, in defense of Matt Rule and his staff is it's a young staff. Yeah, Rule is a very progressive, forward-thinking coach who I think can understand – how to coach athlete, the modern athlete, which today's modern athlete doesn't train the way I think historically athletes have trained, right? Where you can train the mind, you can use virtual reality and technology to help train and prepare your players um, for, for games, for practice, whatever, to install your game plan, to install your system, all that stuff. Matt Rule is probably, I'd be willing to bet, savvier in that regard than most of your coaches in the NFL who are a little bit older, who are probably used to doing things a certain way. I think Matt Rule is probably a little bit more adaptable when it comes to taking a moment like this in stride and having to train guys virtually to get them up to speed. I think they'll do a good job of that, but make no mistake about it. It is, it is a net negative for the Panthers that a team with this much turnover lost out on the opportunity to get together over the course of the last couple of months. Well, that kind of leads into my uh, my next question, which actually might make me feel even worse now that uh, <laughs> now that you've laid out exactly <laughs> what they're looking at defense wise. NFC South: two future Hall of Fame quarterbacks and a former league MVP reside in the South now. Uh, the Panthers will have to see Tom Brady, Drew Brees, 
Matt Ryan six times this season. Who is your June way too early to pick pick to win the NFC South right now? It's got to be the Saints. Uh, I know that there's a lot of love for the Buccaneers right now. Everybody's jumping on the Jolly Roger right now, and they want to ride that Tom Brady bandwagon all the way to an NFC South title. Uh, and I and look, I get it for good reason. Tampa Bay was much better than I think people realized last year. They might have had the best defense in the league over the last six or seven games. They were very good. Uh, they got after the quarterback, created havoc. Um, and you, I mean, think about it. They lost nine games. Uh, six of them were by double digits, and or, I'm sorry, single digits. Six of them were by single digits. And um, Jameis Winston threw 21 interceptions in those nine losses. Tom Brady hasn't thrown more than 14 interceptions in an entire season in his career. Wow! So you just get a quarterback. <laughs> I, I don't care if you think Tom Brady's washed up. He, he knows not to throw it to the wrong team. And if you just minimize turnovers, Tampa Bay probably wins three or four more games next year or last year. So that's a 10 win football team. So I do think Tampa Bay will be better, but the continuity of the saints, they added Emmanuel Sanders. They upgraded the offensive line. They bring back virtually everyone on defense that matters. I, I still think the saints are the team to beat in that division. Um, and this is probably it for Drew Brees. I mean, this is his last chance. I, they, they could have won the Super Bowl twice in the last three years, and yet they've lost in just devastating fashion every season. You, it's a great team with a ton of talent that's hungry, and that's a devastating combination. So I'll still stick with the continuity of the Saints, uh, but I think the Tampa Bay is, is going to make the playoffs and probably win 10 or 11 games for sure. You know what's crazy to me? Because um... – I feel like I'm the only person that's kind of looking at them, but I'm kind of leaning towards Atlanta. Uh, just looking at what they did the second half of last year, they, yeah. you know, they dug such a super huge hole for themselves. They kind of righted the ship, but by that point, I mean, they were seven, eight games out of it. So it was just more about looking respectable at that point, but they didn't quit. They didn't fire Dan Quinn. Um, and now I'm looking at them, especially signing, you know, you don't know what you're going to get with Todd Gurley, but just the fact that their offense they are they are about to roll out an offense where nine of the eleven starters are former first round picks, and yeah. I'm I'm just kind of looking at them like, I get it, twenty eight three, you know I get it. People are still kind of leery to pick Atlanta for anything going forward, but they're kind of my dark horse pick to win this division because no one is talking about them. And offensively, if you look at what they have, if Matt Ryan's not throwing it to the other team, they're about as good as you're going to get in terms of pound for pound at the key uh, skill uh, spots. I mean, Julio Jones, Todd Gurley, if he can give you, you know, a buck every Sunday or even just 75, 80 yards just to keep teams honest. Like that just changes the dynamic of that Atlanta team. And they're so fast. So I'm just, yeah. I, I get it with the saints. Maybe it's just the, the Homer part of me that not, that I just don't want to pick them yet, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I'm kind of looking at uh, the whole division looks like it's going to be, tough and it's crazy that you know i look at carolina's offenses it could be a, a potential you know 25 27 point per game offense the problem is the defense is probably going to give up 29 35 points a game so yeah. they're going to be in shootouts really i think all season long uh as long as everyone stays healthy got josh parcel on the line with me from wfnz in charlotte you can follow him on twitter at josh parcel and finally josh i wanted to uh talk to you about the nfl uh, it's the largest gorilla in the room, and it does appear that they're going to proceed in some capacity with the 2020 season. We've been given zero indication that the NFL is going to alter their schedule, change anything uh, that they have. They, they've almost gone about everything with the coronavirus situation as if we're the NFL, 
we'll tell coronavirus when we're going <laughs> to not play games and mm-hmm. move things around. Um, what, what do you think is the best case scenario and worst case scenario for the NFL as we get into July? Uh, technically, we should be starting training camps and then August preseason if we follow the traditional regular NFL calendar. What you, with that going on and on the other side, we're still seeing increases in cases. I think I saw the day North Carolina uh, has even more increased cases today than they did the day before. It's been on a rise the past week or so. What are the best case and worst case scenarios for the NFL here going into which is technically the start of uh, the season here going into July and into August? Yeah, I mean, look, I'm obviously not a medical expert. I, I hesitate to try to dive into what could actually, you know, happen in the country. I think, I think it's obvious that if there's a, a resurgence of the, you know, positive cases and obviously hospitalizations and deaths, then we could see the NFL have to be put on hold if if we just have to go back into the, you know, type of restrictions that we were under back in early March. Uh, I hope that doesn't happen. I'm optimistic that it won't. Um, what I hope doesn't happen is that the NFL allows too many fans back into the stadium. And um, the NFL is, is fortunate. It, it's unlike baseball, where b- baseball relies heavily on revenue from games. And I mean, like gates, tickets, concessions, all the things, the game day revenue on site. Baseball, uh, that accounts for 40 to 50 percent of teams revenue. Uh, for the NFL, it's a substantial amount, but it's not that much. Um, the NFL gets a ton of money from their television contract. Their salaries are capped, which is different from baseball. So salaries are, are paid out based on a percentage of the revenue from the entire league. So the costs get to stay relatively controlled, unlike in baseball, which is what you're seeing with baseball right now, being unable to f- freaking agree on being able to play games again, which is really frustrating. But for football, I think the disaster scenario is, is what I just laid out there that the, the, the government steps in and says, you cannot have these events. You cannot even play the games. Um, I tend to think that we're going to be safe in that regard. Uh, it may mean playing games without fans, but if that's the worst case, I, I, I can live with that. I mean, the best case is by the end of the season, um, we are, I don't, it doesn't seem like we're going to have a cure or a vaccine by that point. That would, that would be too optimistic, but we're at a point where we're uh, able to allow you know, 20,000, 30,000 fans into these games and um, we start to feel some sense of normalcy. But to me, just having the, the games back in the first place will be a huge step in the right direction. It is so much more complicated than that. I mean, we could sit here for hours and talk about all of the risk factors at play. Uh, we're seeing those questions raised right now in the NBA and a lot of them are legitimate. Um, that's just, it, it's such a complicated subject. But I think ultimately, uh, as long as we have football back, um, whether or not there are fans at the games, if we can watch it on television, if we can ensure that the players and their families are re- are, are as safe as we can possibly make them, um, then that that is going to be a win for, for everyone uh, involved. And as long as I think, again, protecting the players is important and allowing players who feel unsafe, who have conditions, who in any way feel like it's not in their best interest to play, um, they shouldn't be forced to play. And I, I don't think the NFL is in a position where they would do that. Um, but I think that's very important to keep in mind. Everything beyond that, uh, we're just, as we've had to say so many times, Desmond, <laughs> over the last couple of months, we don't know. We'll see. Yeah. I mean, we'll see how it goes. It's just anyone trying to predict the future with any sort of certainty or definitiveness is, uh, is just trying to gain notoriety or attention. We, we just don't know. We've never seen something like this before, not in our lifetime. Well, hopefully we're going to have games uh, the way they're supposed to be. I do take uh, a little bit of solace knowing that NASCAR – 
has kind of been the guinea pig for this for the other sport yeah. leagues. And uh, they're going to be – they just announced this week that they're going to have, I think, up to 5,000 people in the stands yep. for a couple of select races. So it's almost like the NFL and the NBA and Major League Baseball, they're all kind of sitting back and just watching what NASCAR is doing and seeing what works, what doesn't work. And I've been super impressed with how they've been able to keep the drivers clean, the, the pit crews clean, and everything else. So uh, hopefully if NASCAR succeeds with this, and that's uh, great news for the NFL and other open-air uh leagues that are looking to start here in uh, in the country he is the co-host of wilson and parcel 10 a.m to 2 p.m monday through friday on wfnz uh he also is the host of the final drive 6 to 7 p.m on wfnz i gotta get you out of here man you got uh some prep or something probably to, <laughs> to go take care of here uh josh parcel on the believe in carolina panthers podcast uh we thank you so much for joining us here we hope to have you back on here real soon especially as we get closer to the season and into the regular season uh, as a regular contributor. And I just wanted to say thank you so much for joining us. Happy to do it, Desmond. Thanks. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. 